morning we're going to be in the book of Luke, Luke in chapter number 24 for a few moments. And it sure is my privilege to be with you folks this morning and a beautiful Sunday morning that the Lord has given to us. Uh, my name is Evangelist Drew Hay. And uh, the Lord has been so good in allowing us to travel uh, for, I guess, this is our second year here of evangelism. I was an assistant pastor in the eastern part of Pennsylvania for about five years before this. But uh, this is what we believe the Lord has called us to do. And it's been such a privilege to be able to go around and to proclaim his word all across this country. Uh, my wife, Caitlin, is here with me this morning. She's over here on this side. And uh, we also have three children that are downstairs in the, uh, the kids' Uh, in the, the kids' programs and the kids' classes, and so you'll get to meet them throughout the week. Uh, but it's, it certainly is a privilege to be able to travel with my family. It's our, our, our trailer out there. If you saw the trailer as you pulled into church, that's, that's where we live probably a good 10 months out of the year. And so we are so thankful for the opportunity. Um, myself and Brother Smith actually were related. So uh, my wife, Caitlin, and then Brother Smith's wife, Amber, are sisters. And so y'all can pray for me uh, as, uh, you know, we're <laughs> related, related there to Brother Smith. And I know that he's been here quite a bit and I'm sure you appreciate his ministry. But uh, I'm like the brother-in-law that he can't quite get rid of. So I just kind of stay, you know, just follow him around and uh, just uh, annoy him and, and uh, you know, try to contribute something to the ministry as well. But <laughs> we certainly have a good time traveling. And the Lord has given us some opportunities on our own as well. And so we're thankful for that. And I mean, it's, it's let me tell you something. It's just nothing better than serving God. Uh, there's nothing better than being in the service of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's something that every single one of us as Christians have the privilege to do. And that is serve God. And so let's uh, as we're, we're turning there to Luke 24, I want to draw our attention there to a story that we find here after Jesus has died. And it was a dark time, really, for these disciples as they're headed on the road Back to their hometown, we assume, back to Emmaus. And I want us to begin reading in verse number 13 of Luke 24. Hopefully you found that by now. The Bible says in Luke 24 and verse number 13, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? So we're introduced here to these two disciples and the Bible says that they're walking, they're, they're taking the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're talking. And they're going back and forth and talking about the, the different things that had just happened. We, we know the, the, really the, the identity of one of these disciples. The Bible tells us it was a man by the name of Cleopas there in verse number 18. But we don't know the identity of the second we know that perhaps it was it was his wife or, or perhaps somebody else that lived there in Emmaus, somebody that that was close to Cleopas or that, that lived in the same place. But all we know is that there were these two disciples. They weren't one of the twelve. They were just simply disciples. They were followers of Jesus. But they had just been in Jerusalem and they had just seen what had happened to the one that they had followed. 
The one that they had put their faith in, the one they had put their trust in, was nailed to a cross. And so as they walked along, the Bible says Jesus comes along and he really inserts himself into this conversation. But they didn't know it was Jesus at first. They didn't know that Jesus had come and inserted himself into this situation. And aren't you glad that when you're going through the road of life that sometimes Jesus shows up? Aren't you glad that that when it seems like all hope is lost, that Jesus is right there? Aren't you glad that when it seems like there's nothing but darkness and nothing but bad news all around us, that's often when Jesus will show up. And we see that's what he does here in the beginning of this story. And really, as I look at this road that these disciples are walking on, and and not just the physical road, but the, the journey that Jesus brings them on here, I really see a beautiful picture of what revival ought to look like. Revival is that, that, that process in which we come back to God. Revival is that process in which our hearts are turned back to Him, as was beautifully illustrated to us this morning. Where our eyes are taken off of that, that which is around us and are again fixed on Him. Where we leave the mundane, if you will, and we begin to experience the supernatural life that Jesus really intended each and every one of us to have. Because let me tell you something this morning. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could walk around in defeat. He didn't die on the cross so that you could walk around with your shoulders slumped and your chin dragging on the floor and you saying, woe is me. What are we supposed to do? This, This thing is hopeless. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could walk around in defeat. No, no. He purchased victory for you on that cross. And He wants you to be walking around in victory. He wants you to be able to walk close to Him. He wants you to be able to experience life, and not just life, but life more abundantly. And really, as we get our eyes on Him, as we walk a bit with Him, we see, illustrated for us in these disciples, the road to revival. And so I want you to notice, firstly, on this road to revival, the disciples' condition. I want you to notice their condition. Jesus here points it out in verse number 17 where he says, What manner of communications are these that you have one with another as ye walk and are sad? I want you to notice, first of all, that these disciples, they had sad hearts. They had sad hearts. As they're walking down this road and they're discussing what has just happened back in Jerusalem. Really, I believe that they were grieving. The one that they had really been following, the one that they had grown to love, the one that they had, had really put their hope in, had just been murdered. Had just been hung upon a cross, put up where everyone could see Him, and He had given up the ghost. And if you've been walking this path of life for, for too long, you'll find that there are times when our hearts can be sad as well. There can be times when we experience loss. There can be times when we can experience the loss of a loved one. Somebody that was close to us. Somebody that walked along this road with us. Somebody that provided great comfort and great help in our lives. And their time on this earth comes to an end. And that's a difficult thing. But I think that's one of the things that makes heaven just a little sweeter the longer we live is thinking of all those that we'll see again. Thinking of that blessed hope that we have because of what Jesus did on that cross. You see, one that doesn't know Jesus as Savior doesn't have that hope. 
A funeral is a final thing. A funeral is something that's, that, that brings great grief because there is no hope of ever seeing that loved one again. But when somebody dies in Christ, that's just the beginning of eternal life. And I'm so glad that we have that blessed hope that Jesus purchased for us. But that doesn't necessarily lessen the pain of losing them in that moment. We see here these two disciples were sad. They're grieving as they're walking along this road. But I believe that the mark, the mark of God's people ought to be our love. Yes, but I believe that a Christian ought to be marked by joy. I believe that Christians ought to be happy people. I believe we as God's children ought to have the joy of the Lord inside of our hearts. In Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, the end of that verse tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. Psalm 95 and verse 1, the Bible says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. We ought to be happy people. We ought to be singing people. When the hymns are sung, we ought to lift up our voice and make a joyful noise because we have something to sing about. But life does have a way of coming across our path and knocking us down sometimes. It has a way of coming across our path and trying to suck all our joy and happiness right out of our hearts. I'm so glad that Jesus understands. I'm so glad that we serve a Savior that was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of human flesh because He was without sin. But He was made in the likeness of human flesh. And he experienced what we experienced. He experienced loss. We see him there at the tomb of Lazarus weeping. He experienced temptation. And he, he can say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He can say, I understand what you're going through because he's been there. He's not just up on his gilded throne up there in heaven saying, you just need to do better having not experienced it himself. But he experienced He experienced the life that we do. And we see here these disciples, not only did they have sad hearts, but Jesus also points out down in verse number 23 or 25 that they had slow hearts. Look at what he says in verse 25. Then said he said unto them, "O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? We see they had sad hearts, but not only that, they had slow hearts. They didn't understand what Jesus was up to. They didn't understand why the Son of God was nailed to a cross. Because in their minds, they thought, man, Jesus has come and He is going to overthrow the Roman government and He's going to deliver Israel from Roman oppression. But then the Romans nailed Him to a cross. And they're looking at this situation and they're saying, we do not understand. We do not get what Jesus is doing here. We don't understand. Sometimes I can get there in my life. (laughs) How about you? You ever gotten to a place where you don't understand what God's doing? Saying, God, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to obey you. And it seems like when I'm trying to do right and I'm trying to obey you, all I get is problems. And this person over here, it seems like, Yeah, I want nothing to do with you, and their life's doing pretty well. (laughs) Like David, we can sometimes be envious of the wicked. We can look over there and say, man, it seems like they're doing pretty good over there living for themselves. But you only have half the picture. (laughs) You don't know all that's going on in that heart. You don't know all the problems that sin is wreaking in that life and in that situation. 
And it's always better for you to choose to serve God. But sometimes you say, man, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why God's allowing this in my life. I don't understand why this is taking place. And can I tell you, when you don't understand what God's doing, that's not the time to run from him. Amen. When you don't understand what God's doing, that's not the time to get into church less. That's the time to get into church more. When you're confused and when your, your life just doesn't seem to be making any sense, that's not the time to spend less time in your Bible. That's the time to spend more time in the Word of God. That's not the time to set aside the, the Word of God and everything that you ever knew and, and start following after what man says and, and what this book says and what that book says. That's time to get into the book and find out what God has to say. Sometimes we, 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 I don't get what God's doing. And we think that that's somehow an excuse for us to, to run away from God. Somehow that, that makes it okay for us to, 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 to take a little time out on God. Well, I don't get what he's doing. I, I don't, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's, he's all that good. It doesn't seem like he's all that loving like he says that he is. That's not the time to run from him. A prophet by the name of Jonah didn't understand what God was doing. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah said, Nineveh? That's on the bottom of my list of cities to go preach at, God. (laughs) We don't know exactly why Jonah was thinking this way. Perhaps he had been brutalized or family members, friends of his had been brutalized by the Assyrians. But Jonah decided, "Mm mm-mm. (laughs) Nope, I am not going to Nineveh. In fact, I'm getting in this boat. I'm going the opposite direction. And how'd that turn out for him? Not very well. well. (laughs) God sent a great storm into the sea. (laughs) You tell you, some of our storms, they're they're self-inflicted. Sometimes they're not self-inflicted. I understand that. Not every bad thing, not every storm in your life is because of sin, but sometimes they're self-inflicted. God had to send a storm to get a, get a hold of Jonah. But Jonah was so comfortable in running from God and in his sin that he was taking a nap. The storm's swirling all around and people are freaking out, throwing stuff overboard, praying to whatever God they can think of. And Jonah's in the bottom of the boat having a siesta. Sleeping through the judgment of God. Oh, Christian, may we, may we never get to the place where we're so comfortable in our rebellion. We're so comfortable with our idols. We're so comfortable holding on to our sin. We're, we've made every excuse and we've justified it a million ways in our mind. And the Holy Spirit's put his finger on it. And we've slapped his hand away and the preachers preached on it. And we've sat in our seats and held on for dear life. May we never get to the place where we're so comfortable in our sin that we can sleep through the judgment of God. But oh, Jonah, he didn't understand. So he thought, I'll run from God. I'll be all right. (laughs) And aren't you glad for the mercy of God and the grace of God? You don't have to look too far. Even in the Old Testament, people say, oh, the Old Testament, God was a God of judgment. No, he was a God of mercy and grace throughout the whole book. He could have said, all right, throw him overboard and we'll let him drown. That'll that'll show him. (laughs) My preacher thinking he can run from me. But no, God had a fish. (laughs) Aren't you glad when God sends a storm, he also sends a fish? He had a fish for him. He had some lessons to teach him, but he wasn't done with him. And when that fish vomited up Jonah there on the beach, God gave him the same command. Get up. Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching I bid thee. 
Aren't you glad for second chances? Third chances, fourth chances, and fifth chances, and 161st chances. I'm telling you, I need all of them. (laughs) I'm glad for the grace of our God. But when you don't understand, that's not the time to turn tail. That's not the time to get out of church. That's not the time to push away your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not the time to close the Word of God. That's the time to get into it more. That's the time to assemble more. That's the time to, to, to get with Christians more. It didn't make sense to, to a lady by the name of Sarah. Sarai. And how in the world we, am I supposed to have a baby? I, I mean, I'm 89. Abraham, he's 99. I don't know a whole lot about a whole lot, but that math doesn't seem to add up to me. <laughs> and so she said, you know what? Maybe it's maybe it's Hagar. Maybe that's maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's what God's will is. We'll just we'll get Hagar and and introduce her into this situation and and everything will turn out just fine. Everything did not turn out just fine. (laughs) No, no, no. that, 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 That one decision right there had repercussions throughout history. And may I say has repercussions that we still feel today in the really the conflict there in the Middle East. Because Abraham and Sarah didn't understand. And so they decided, well, God's not making the path clear. I mean, I know what he said, but it doesn't seem like he's coming through. So we're just going to take matters into our own hands. Whew. Slow hearts. <laughs> Psalm 61 and verse 2, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. I feel like I got a lot of favorite verses in the Psalms. Aren't the Psalms good? <laughs> Aren't you thankful for the Psalms this morning? But did you know that a lot of those psalms were born out of the personal tribulations of a man by the name of David? (laughs) A lot of those psalms are written as he's running for his life from Saul. A lot of those psalms are written when he's getting turned on by by his son. Sometimes we're like, God, I just well, I don't understand. Would you just take all this nonsense away from me? And God's like, I'm trying to I'm trying to write some psalms over here. (laughs) I can't take it all away, David, because I need I need some psalms. That'll encourage Christians for thousands of years. But Psalm 61, verse 2, the Bible says, From the ends of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's where we ought to be going when our hearts are overwhelmed. When we don't understand. When we look around and it doesn't make any sense from our point of view. But not only do we see the disciples' condition this morning, we see the divine confrontation. We see the divine confrontation here in the midst of their sadness, in the midst of their slow hearts. Jesus shows up. In verse number 18, they ask, has thou not known the things that will come to pass in these days? In verse 19, Jesus asks them, what things? (laughs) Now, did Jesus not know? Did Jesus ask him this question because he needed information? No, no. He knows all things. And oftentimes we find in the Bible when Jesus asks questions, when God asks questions, it's not for his benefit. It's for our benefit. It's so that we can acknowledge what's really going on. He asks him what things. And they say to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And they, 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 they tell Jesus how, <laughs> how <laughs> what happened to him. They said, Jesus, have you not heard about Jesus? Have you not heard how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him? Look at verse 21. You see the hurt in their heart here as they say, but we trusted. 
We trusted. We believed him. And this is what happens. We trusted that it had been him which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. You think that would have, you know, set off a little alarm bell in there. Wait, hang on. Third day. Now, now where have we heard that before? <laughs> that, that sounds vaguely familiar. Third day. Well, oh. It's interesting. In the midst of these great tragedies that, that, that or what seemed to be great tragedy. How the disciples had some amnesia. Jesus had told them, I'm, I'm, they're going to deliver me up. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I will rise again. And the disciples didn't get it. You, see, you know what the sad thing is, though? The Pharisees got it. The, the Pharisees understood. Over in Matthew 27, verse number 63, the Pharisees come to Pilate and they say, Sir, we remember that this deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. <laughs> the Pharisees remembered. They said, Oh, we remember what he said. He said he was going to rise again. So we've got to set, seal the, the stone up. We've got to put some soldiers out there so the disciples don't come and steal him away. But they didn't have to worry about all that because the disciples didn't even remember. (laughs) And how sad it is that you and I, Christian, after all that God has done for us, (laughs) after the fact that He saved our soul when there was nothing lovely about us that He loved us, when there was nothing good about us that He put His righteousness on us. (laughs) You remember that time? Remember that time when you were lost in your sin? You say, well, Brother Drew, I was, I was saved when I was young. I, I, I don't even really remember that time. I was saved when I was five years old, and I praise the Lord for saving me from some sin. Saving me from some sin. But whether He saved you from some sin, or He saved you up out of some sin, He saved you this morning. And that ought to thrill your heart. Because no matter who you are, <laughs> the fact is we're all sinners, and we all deserve to go to hell. But Jesus made the way. He paid the price. He suffered hell for us on that cross so that we could be reconciled to God. And if you're here today and you've been saved and God never did anything else for you, I'm telling you, that's enough for you to love him and serve him and follow him with all your heart for all the rest of your days. But he doesn't stop there. All this and salvation, too, let me tell you. I'm telling you, he'll bless you. He'll answer your prayers. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. He'll bless you. I mean, he'll he'll give you life and he'll give you purpose and he'll give you joy and he'll give you peace. I'm telling you, it just gets better and better. But how sad it is for us that, that, that have been saved by the grace of God, for us who have been brought through storm after storm by the grace of God, for us who have experienced the blessings of God to so easily forget. Sometimes we're hard on the Israelites, man. How can they forget after seeing the Red Sea? Well, how do we so forget after he provides our daily needs? How how do we forget when when he's redeemed our soul? Well, we do. But I want you to see in this divine confrontation here, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, where does he bring them? Look again at verse number 25. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Listen to me now. Jesus took him to the scriptures. Where, where should we go when our heart is overwhelmed? Where should we go when, when, when our heart is sad? Where should we go when our heart is slow and not understanding what is going on? We can do no better than Jesus. He takes him to the scriptures. He takes him to the word of God. Let me ask you, what's your, what's your relationship like with the word of God? Is it a textbook? I mean, it's a good textbook, but it's a whole lot more than that. Is it just, uh, you know, something we, we take out once a, once a week and we're going to church. You don't want, don't want pastors to see the dust on the Bible. We've got to blow that off. Is it something that we just, you know, well, I got I to gotta read it every day because that's what God told me to do. So let me, let me, get, uh, let me find something short here. Well, five minutes. And listen, there's a place to start, okay? I'm nothing wrong with five minutes if that's where you're starting. But it's alive. It's God's very word to us. It's the instruction manual for life. And I know there may be some in here who say, instruction manuals, not me. <laughs> I get that thing from Ikea. I don't even look at the instruction manual. I just put that thing together. If there's a few extra parts at the end, well, you know, is what it is. <laughs> they probably weren't important anyway. <laughs> but let me tell you something. Life is way too hard for you and me. I mean, it's way too complicated for you and me to do on our own. The fact is, God designed it so that life does not work unless He's right there in the center. Doesn't work. Oh, but I, uh, yeah, I can, I can, I got a good job, brother Drew. Well, well, good for you, but without the word of God, you're not going to be accomplishing a whole lot. And maybe you stack up a whole lot of money, but let me tell you something: when when you die, you can't take it with you. <laughs> you can't take it with you. The IRS is going to take most of it, and then your kids are going to fight over the rest of it, and you'll spend all your all your life on something that's just going to burn up. <laughs> We need God's word. And I'm convinced that, that if, we, if we will have a revival, if you will, of seeking the Lord, that I'm telling you, we could turn this nation around. Amen. It's not going to happen in the White House. And we're going to see the White House. This is where I'm looking forward to, the, to, to, to seeing the place. But that's not where, that's not where America is, is going to get fixed. It's going to get fixed in places like this right here. When God's people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, then then he'll hear from heaven. Forgive their sin and will heal their land. But Jesus, he takes his disciples back to the scriptures. And I want you to notice that he took it. He took him to the scriptures. But the Bible does not say that in verse number 27. And Jesus take, took out some scrolls out of his robe and unrolled them and began at Moses and the prophets. The Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> I praise the Lord for, for you all as a church memorizing scripture together. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's a wonderful thing. I, I think in these days we need more Bible in our minds, not less. But the Bible says that Jesus, from 
Moses and through all the prophets expounding unto them in the scriptures all things concerning himself. Let me ask you, could you defend your faith without your Bible? Amen. Could you defend your faith with your Bible? Uh, if, if all the Bibles were taken away, how much scripture would we have still in this room? I read a story about a, a pastor who went, uh, went over to China and went over there to do a, a kind of a leadership seminar with, with some of the Chinese pastors over there. And he went and he set up and, and, and they got a little hotel room and, and because of persecution, they couldn't really broadcast this. They just had to send out some invitations and they sent out invitations to 22 of these Chinese pastors and Christian leaders. And they came from all over. Some of them from 13 hours away, riding in a train to come to this leadership training. The pastor, as he gets started, just out of curiosity, wanted to know how many of these Christians had been imprisoned for their faith. And so he asked for a show of hands. And of the 22 that were assembled, 18 raised their hands and said, I've been in prison for my faith. The pastor was, was, was kind of blown away by this. And kind of as a follow-up question, he, he asked, so what would happen if somehow the authorities were to get wind of our meeting here in the hotel and they were to come in and, and they were to catch us having, this, having this, this, this leadership conference, if you will? And the Chinese Christians looked at him and said, well, for you, it would be immediate deportation within 24 hours. You'd be out of the country. And for us... It would be a minimum of a three-year jail sentence. A minimum. But they came. As the pastor began uh, giving his lessons, he realized he only had 15 Bibles to pass, out, to pass out to these 22 Christians. And so some would have to go without. And so they passed the Bibles out and he said, uh, please turn to Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter together. And, and one of the ladies that had come, who had had one of the Bibles, passed the Bible to somebody else. The pastor saw this and wondered about it. And after the lesson was over, he went and asked the lady, so why, why did you give your Bible up when, we, when I said turn to Second Peter and we're going to read the whole chapter? She said, well, I, I have that chapter memorized. I didn't need it. <laughs> he, was, he was amazed. He said, you memorized that, the, the entire chapter? He said, I, I memorized the whole book. For in prison, you have much time to memorize Scripture. Pastor said, but, but wait, wait. In, in prison, won't they, won't they confiscate Bibles? Won't they confiscate Christian materials if they find them? She said, oh, yes. And so what we do is we write down little bits and little portions of Scripture on little scraps of paper and we pass them around the jail. And oftentimes we'll get caught and they'll take the little papers away from us and they'll beat us. But we try to memorize those little portions of Scripture as fast as we can because they can take the Scriptures out of our hands, but they can't take the Scripture out of our hearts. At the end of the three-day training session, the the pastor asked the group, is there any way we can more specifically pray for you? I know we will pray for you know, the, the, the situation and, and God's protection, of course, but how can we specifically pray for you? One of the men said, hey, we just, we'd love it. I mean, over in America, you, you can have as many Bibles as you want. 
You can meet wherever and whenever you want without fear. You can preach the gospel to anybody openly. Would you pray that we would be able to be just like you? The pastor thought for a moment, and then he shook his head and he said, no. You see, in America, if you have to drive more than an hour to get to the service, many won't go. But you were willing to ride in a train for 13 hours to get here. If there's not padded pews there in the building, many will say, ah, forget that. But you were willing to sit on the floor of this hotel room for three days. If the, if the air conditioner is not working, if the, 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 the central air system is busted, we'll cancel services over in America. But you sat on this floor with no, no air conditioning, not able to open up the windows in fear of, of, of people hearing outside and sitting and sweating and listening to the Word of God. In America, we have many Bibles and many Bibles in each household. In fact, most Americans have more than one Bible. What well, we don't read them. And yet, you all will memorize as much Scripture as you can just from little scraps of paper in a prison cell. I will not pray that you will become more like us. I pray that we will become more like you. What's your attitude towards God's Word? Oftentimes, we can fill our minds with so much. So much news, and that'll get you, that'll get you real discouraged in, in a short amount of time. But we can fill our minds with all kinds of social media. We can fill our minds with all kinds of movies and, and TV shows. We can fill our minds with all sorts of things. But I believe if we're going to see God work in our lives, that we need to be saturating ourselves with the Word of God. I believe if we, if we want to see a difference made in our lives and in our churches, we need to be filling ourselves with the Word of God. Jesus takes them back to the scriptures. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice, not only did Jesus take them to the scriptures, but they made a choice to seek him. Look at verse 28, if you would, with me there in Luke 24. And the Bible says, And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he, that is Jesus, made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Jesus, the Bible said, as they get to the end of their journey, as they're walking along the path here, as they, they begin turning towards Emmaus, if you will, off of the main road, perhaps. Jesus, the Bible says, made as though he would have continued walking. Just kept on going down the road. And we see here the disciples made a choice. The Bible says they constrained him in verse number 29. He said, no, 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 wait, 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 sir, sir. <laughs> it's late. The day is far spent. Don't keep on traveling. Come and come into our house and spend some time with us this evening. Let us feed you this evening. Let me tell you something. Jesus, he'll reveal himself to you, and he has revealed himself to us in his word. But it's going to be up to you and me to seek him. To seek him until he will be found. To chase after him, if you will. To constrain him. <laughs> He's given us everything that we need. But are we willing to put forth the effort? I think perhaps we don't see revival because we're not willing to put forth the effort to go get it. 
I mean, he's given us the recipe. Say, ah, I mean, I guess I'm pretty humble. Yeah, I seek him. I mean, we spend a good five minutes to get together each day. I mean, I pray sometimes. I turn from most of my wicked ways. <laughs> it's going to take us seeking the Lord. It's going to take us getting to a place of desperation. Where we say, Lord, I'm not going to do this thing without you anymore. I'm not going to try to live this Christian life in the power of my own flesh anymore. God, I need you. I need your power. I need you to step in. I'm not content with lukewarm Christianity anymore, God. I'm not. I want to be hot. I want to be on fire. Mm. Many say they want revival. Many even pray for it. But they're unwilling to pay the price. But God's promised it. Proverbs 8 and verse 17. I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. I think of, of Genesis 32, where the Bible says that all Jacob wrestled with God. And he, when he first wrestled with God, he was saying, no, God, he was wrestling against God and God had to break him. And by the end of that story, <laughs> the, the angel of the Lord says, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob no longer is saying, no, God, he's saying, no, God, I will not let thee go. I will not let thee go until you bless me. I need your blessing. I need your power. I don't want to be Jacob anymore. May we get to a place of desperation. A place where we seek him early. A place where we seek him often. A place where we, get, where we say, you know what, maybe I'm a little too busy. Maybe i got to cut some time into my schedule. Which really, it should be his schedule. He's the one that gives us every breath. I've got to cut some time into my schedule and i got to seek the Lord. Let me tell you, this is a great week to do that. Say, so you know what, I, I, I know I'm, I'm going to be working, I'm going to be tired, I, I'm busy, but I'm gonna, I am going to set aside this week and I'm going to be in revival services because I need to seek God. But I believe not only do we need to seek Him corporately, but I believe you need to get in your prayer closet. You need to get alone with God. Hey, you need to t- spend that time with just Him and you. Nobody else. Put the phone on silent. Put it in the other room. Don't let, the, don't let the notifications distract you. And you get your face in the book. And you seek Him in prayer. And may I say in fasting. I, I, that, <laughs> fasting, that's a, that's a novel concept in a lot of churches today. That's something nobody knew. The people haven't, haven't done in years. Fasting. But the Bible says, and when you fast, when Jesus was given His instructions, it was assumed that we would fast. And fasting is when we get to a place of desperation. We get to a place where we say, I'm willing to set aside some time I would usually spend eating or doing whatever. And I'm going to seek God. I'm going to seek him. But as we wrap up, we see number three, the dynamic consequences. <laughs> they seek him. They constrain him. They say, Jesus, you, you, you're coming home with us tonight, tonight Jesus. We're not, we're not letting you keep on going on down the path. Now, they didn't know it was Jesus yet at this time, but, but they, 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 were, they were earnest. And I want you to notice in verse number 30, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. 
I want you to notice, first of all, the dynamic consequences. He sanctified their home. I'm telling you, when you invite Jesus in, <laughs> dinner becomes a communion service. And perhaps as Jesus was breaking that bread, they got a look at his hands. They got a good look at his hands for the first time. They said, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, wait, that's Jesus right there. <laughs> the Bible says he vanished out of their sight. <laughs> Revelation 3 and verse 20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> if any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. I wonder sometimes we don't seek the Lord because we don't go after him and invite him in because we realize if Jesus comes in the house, he might see some things that we, 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 we weren't really wanting him to see. <laughs> Jesus, yes, come into my heart, come into my life and stay in the living room. We didn't get to clean in the upstairs, the upstairs, uh, <laughs> the upstairs bedrooms, Lord, so don't be going up there. Oh, whoa, 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 you don't, don't be going to the closets, Lord. There's some skeletons in there that we'd rather keep closed in there. But when Jesus comes in, he's, he's, he's not just doing a little touch up. No, he wants to overhaul the place. He wants to tear some walls down. <laughs> he wants to tear some strongholds down. <laughs> he wants to put some, some, some new habits and some new pathways in that house. And won't we invite him in? We see he sanctified their home. But number two, I want you to see he satisfied their hearts. Listen to verse number 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? Well, he talked with us, by the way. And while he opened to us the scriptures. They went from sad and slow hearts to burning hearts. <laughs> the fire was back. The passion was back. Let me tell you something, if you've lost your, if you lost your passion for souls, you need to, you need to go spend time with Jesus till it comes back. <laughs> if you've lost your joy here this morning, you need to go and spend some time with Jesus until you find him. Don't look for, don't look for it somewhere else. Ooh, that's what the devil wants to do. Oh, see, I told you Jesus wasn't going to satisfy your heart. Here's some cheap trinkets here that'll make you happy. Here's some sin right here that'll, that'll bring you some satisfaction. Don't believe it. Oh, Lot believed it. Oh, man, oh, over there in Sodom, they seem to be doing pretty well. But by the end of the story, he had lost everything that was dear to him. Don't do it. Seek God. Finally, I want you to see that he set their heading. <laughs> Look at verse number 33. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together with them and, and them that were with them and saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Listen to me now. <laughs> The, the pathway here from, or the, the journey, if you will, from Emmaus to Jerusalem was some seven miles. Now, they had just walked this entire journey with Jesus. Yeah. What a Bible study that must have been. I'm just saying. Whew. They just walked this whole thing with Jesus. And now the Bible says that they get up and they returned the same hour. All the way back to Jerusalem. Now, it was late. It was dinner time. It was probably getting dark out. But it didn't matter. Because they had, they had seen Jesus. And they had to tell the disciples. 
Oh, let me tell you something. You start seeking the Lord and you start being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He sets your heart on fire again. And that fire, that passion begins to burn again. What used to be a duty will become a delight. Oh, no, I have to go to church. No, no, I get to go to church. Oh, I have to go soul winning. No, I get to tell somebody about Jesus. I have to serve. No, no, no. Pastor, how else can I serve? Give me some more to do. I, I mean, this is exciting. The same hour. They get up, go seven miles back because they got to tell the disciples. <laughs> this is what a revived life looks like. And I believe that it's available to each and every one of us today. If we will make the decision to seek the Lord while he may be found. To seek him with all of our hearts. Look at verse 36. As they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, peace be with you. I'm telling you, he filled them with power. He filled them with peace. Verse number 49. And behold, I send the promise of my father unto you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Folks, Jesus has everything that we need. Seek him and you will find him. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, oh Lord, there's hope available. Lord, we thank you that there's help found in your word. We thank you that it's alive. We can read the same passage and we can find something new every time. Oh, God, would you bless us this week? Would you bless the services to follow? Would you speak to us in a special way? Lord, would you help us to set aside the time this week to seek you? I pray, Lord, for any hearts that are grieving this this morning. I pray for for any life that, that, that is confused and just doesn't understand what you're doing, God. I pray that they would run to you. And seek you. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray.